everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show, Media Giant Effect, and also the Kim Sorrell Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome first my co-host, Kim Sorrell, author of Love Is. Kim, how are you? This is your favorite time of year, isn't it? The holidays. I love the holidays. I've got lots of grandkids, and they're all coming over, and I can't wait. And we have an exciting guest today. I'm always intrigued by authors and how they're able to come up with their craft. So who's our guest today? Buddy Levy, the man, the myth, the legend. Buddy, I don't know when you sleep. You have a new book that has just come out. You're this follower of eco-adventurers. You've um, written documentaries. You teach. You have written so many books and have done so many crazy things. I'm happy you're still alive. So thank you for being here. And I just am so excited to talk to you and hear about your latest project. Hey, thanks for having me, y'all. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've been pretty busy last few years. So how many books have you written, buddy? Uh, eight, and I just started my ninth. So uh, I'm trying to get, you know, up to 10 to 15 before my uh, capacities are diminished. <laughs> so Kim, how, when are you going to catch up to eight to nine? I've not written one yet. I guess he's calling me out there. I got to write a book too. I mean, you, you too. <laughs> So you can catch up, right? Eight to nine, Kim? Oh, yeah. 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 I'll catch up. I'll catch up soon. I'll work on that. But and and not only writing and all of the stuff that you've done, buddy, but your babysitter was Ernest Hemingway's granddaughter. I find that wow. really interesting. You have done your research. Yeah, I grew up in, in the ski town of Ketchum, Idaho. And my first babysitter there was Margot Hemingway and uh, Jack Hemingway, uh, Ernest Hemingway's eldest son. Uh, was my French teacher and taught me how to fly cast uh, with a fly rod. So I got I have some uh, some Hemingway uh, connection. My father was good friends with Jack Hemingway, and and, and Jack Hemingway incidentally wrote the foreword to my very first book, um, which was called Echoes on Rimrock. So yeah, um, good research there. And that's impressive too, buddy. I mean, the, the, to be able to have that for the first foreword, right? That gets you started, doesn't it, as an author? Yeah, it puts a little pressure on you to have the Hemingway name on your first book. You're, you're, uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do for an encore? There's, there's, there's nothing to do. And what, do you, what advice do you give authors, especially that want to be published? Because, again, the success you've had, being able to be published, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to go out and find a publisher and find it. And also just write a book, right? Right, buddy? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to just trust in yourself and your intuitions and and be really persistent. That's the main thing. Writers, you know, these books, as I tell my my children and uh, and my new grandson, these books don't write themselves, you know. So you have to sit your butt down in the chair and uh, be persistent and uh, rigorous uh, and dedicated, and it'll happen if you stay at it. Yeah, so your latest book, um, Emperor of Ice and Stone, uh, very interesting. The story of two men, really. Um, and I I love the, you're just such a gifted storyteller. And uh, so I'd like to hear what you, the process was with that book and what, what you did. And, sure. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's, it's a historical um, true story of the 1913 Canadian Arctic expedition. And when I had written another book a couple of years ago uh, about the Arctic called Labyrinth of Ice. And when I found this story, I mean, it had, it had everything. It has, it has uh, shipwreck and mutiny on the frozen polar seas, uh, frostbite, starvation, 
uh, survival and grand adventure. And then there's heroism and cowardice too. And so when I saw that this the story had pretty much everything I looked for, including, uh, you know, a protagonist and an antagonist that are essentially a, a hero and a villain. Um, they're more complicated than that, of course, but th there are, is heroism and, and villainous behavior. I just thought I've got to try to tell this story in the best way that I can and, and make it a page turner. And I hope I've done that. You know, my goal is to make uh, a historical tale for which we already know the ending, a page turner. And it's a challenge, but when you get it right, it, it sort of reads like a movie. And that, is that a goal for you, a movie for this? Absolutely. But, you know, uh, Hollywood is uh, is sort of, uh, it's a tough nut to crack. I've had a number of my books have been optioned by big time players in the industry. And, you know, it's really remarkable that anything ever gets made. You see so much on TV and, you're, and then having been on a, I was on a, a two seasons, I was on a History Channel television show myself. Uh, and, you know, it's just really amazing that things get made. And and some of the, some of my books um, really lend themselves to either uh, a film or probably more so um, a, a limited series or docu-series. Yes, and this one uh, in particular, but many of your books for sure should be movies. This one should definitely be a movie. I wouldn't be surprised if it actually happens. I know what you're saying, but it should happen. So adventure and history are your gigs, right? How How did that happen for you, do you think? Wow, that's such a great question. Uh, you know, I think a part of it has that my I grew up in in this ski town, like I mentioned, Sun Valley, Idaho. And also my father was an Olympic Nordic skier. He's a really unusual person. He he grew up in Louisiana, but he ended up being uh, a Nordic skier and he competed in the 56 Winter Olympics. And so I was uh, steeped in outdoor adventure from a very early age. <clears throat> and then I started following um, crazy adventure racers around the world back in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, including Mark Burnett, who had this show called the Eco Challenge. Mark Burnett, the uh, man who created Survivor and The Apprentice. Oh. And uh, I got really lucky and I was able to travel around the world as a journalist covering these extreme adventure sports. And that's where I started to get really interested also in the historical stories, because I, I went to Greenland in 2003, and um, that's where I stumbled onto this uh, this Arctic, um, kind of Arctic historical narrative uh, exploration, and I was just hooked, and I remain hooked. And now, buddy, I know you have an agent, and this is the point when you're talking about optioning for movies. Why don't you look at these creating these as series? Because everyone, I think movies are dying in so many ways that it's going to be series on different shows. And people love this stuff. I mean, how much, how many fans do you have from the History Channel when you did your show? Isn't it amazing? Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's great. It's a great build-in audience for selling a book, right? With all your history fans that you've developed. So why don't they become series? Remember History Channel used to have Viking on that was really good. That was a, oh, like, man. A, a, why don't they create more of those history to look at all the other OTT networks and what they're doing and create shows like that Netflix would option or things like that. Maybe a series is a better deal for you. Yeah. that Well, they, you know, it's all a matter of, like I said, you've got to um, be persistent and keep your, your name out there and you have to keep contacting the right people and, and ha get meetings. And, and really, you know, it's a, it's a full-time gig, 
Uh, so I have to balance that with uh, I'm already writing the next book. Uh, actually, I'm doing another uh, amazing adventure about the first blimps or airships to try to fly to the, to the North Pole in 1905. And so, yeah, it's a matter of having all those irons in the fire. Um, but you're right. You know, when when Decoded was on, we had about one point seven million weekly viewers, which that was it went off the air in 2012. Um, but it's still it's still riding along on History Channel. Uh, and, you know, it's just a matter of being like I say, you have to be really um, dogged about it and and keep people uh, apprised that you're working on stuff and, and keep them keep your name out there. Well, I'll tell so this Kim is helping. This. I'll tell Kim this. <laughs> I'm as relevant as the last celebrity I've interviewed, Kim. That's the <laughs> truth. Okay. And that's where my list, and I'll add Buddy to that list and add Buddy to the list for you too, Kim, because that's the thing. And people have to understand that, that we have to constantly stay out there because even if we had these accomplishments, like Buddy's have his books and the other thing, it's the next day of promotion when you're in this grind. And Kim, you're on this grind as well. I am on this grind. That's for sure. Trying to write books and get them out there and and write messages that you want to change the world. And I, I think you're on that same page, buddy. Like the stories that you tell, there's stories that can have great impact on people's lives. Yeah, I mean, I think that's important, too, is to have a great deal of passion about the stories. I love that you use the word grind. I talk about that with my son, who is uh, an aspiring writer. And I always say it's it's about the grind. I mean, you have to you know, you have to churn it out and there's going to be days that aren't great and you have to just keep at it. But also picking stories that resonate with you personally. Um, to me, that's that's really crucial. I've, I've never written a book about anything that uh, that bored me at any time or that I just felt like I was doing it uh, and going through the motions as a job. You know, when I get up in the morning and I'm on uh, one of these quests to tell this story, uh, and they take a couple of years, you know, uh, to do these right. And you have to just love the storytelling, the process, the the editing, all, all facets of it. I think that that's really important, too. Well, I don't know, Kim, what what recommendation do you give me to finally write my first book? Come on now. Is it to just write a 10 page thing? You know, everyone wants me to run, write my memoir, buddy. And Kim, as a former professional <laughs> wrestler, people want to know the story how I became the media giant now from the stories back in the day in pro wrestling. It's just like the time, Kim, buddy, you guys put so much time into writing. So Kim, how long did it take you to write your first book and your second book total? Well, my, my first book, I, uh, it took about a year and, um, my, my second one, it took a little bit longer than a year. I dedicated a year buddy to figuring out the true meaning of love. And I Good. did it in Haiti. And wow. that itself is an adventure. And uh, the things that I found out just kind of blew my mind. Uh, there are things that that were taught about love that are done in the name of love that aren't really love. And so I learned a lot about it. And I look at you and read about you and have seen you on so many things. And uh, you obviously love people. You obviously really like people. Not everybody does. <laughs> And yeah, that's a good, great point. Uh, yeah. You know, I think being gregarious is really important. And, uh, you know, which is kind of ironic because most of what I do once I'm finally uh, locked into the project is, uh, you know, in an, in an office uh, by myself at a computer monitor. But uh, the process, the research part of it, I really love, too, where, you know, you're you're talking to people and interviewing people and uh, meeting 
um, you know, explorers and meeting, I mean, librarians, you know, where they're, they're helping you get the information. And I, I will say I have one sort of advantage over uh, a lot of writers, especially fiction writers or memoirists, uh, which is that I know how the story is going to end. <laughs> so when I start the, the book, I have the general, you know, I'm not, I don't have to make up the ending, you know, I know how it's going to end. It's a matter of, um, I said this last night at a, at a function. Um, I think my, um, if I have a superpower, it's, uh, it's using words, my own words and other people's words and, and using those and stringing those together in a certain way that sings, you know, uh, because what I do is take these narratives and usually I'm working with diaries and, and, you know, these explorers kept remarkable diaries and journals. And then, and so I'm figuring out a way to bring those characters to life on the page through what they actually said in their, in their most uh, dire moments, sometimes, you know, even in their last breaths. Uh, and so it's, it's just an amazing uh, journey that I've gotten to be on. And I really, you know, I'm just going to keep um, doing it as long as I possibly can. See, you guys are so, so blessed to have the opportunity to be able to do what you love as I'm able to do what I love. And it's too bad so many people in society are not choosing something that they love to do each and every day. And it doesn't feel like a grind when you do that. Just have to constantly just keep yourself, keep your focus and know that you're helping others. Buddy, where's the best place people can find you and purchase your book? Where can they go? Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I have a website, buddylevy.com, uh, B-U-D-D-Y-L-E-V-Y.com. And then I've been really fortunate that my books are uh, at independent booksellers near you and at all the big box places, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere else. I'm, I'm, I'm on a roll. So thanks so much for having me. Fantastic, buddy. We appreciate it. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley Show and also the media giant effect. And oh my goodness, I'm excited to welcome the program, author of Bottled Lightning, L.M. Weeks. L.M., thanks for stopping by, man. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me, Neil. It's great to be on. Absolutely. We were talking about your book on the last segment. We're going to just jump into more and more of your background that kind of fits into why you've written this book. What What is your background and what expertise do you bring to the table as a writer? <clears throat> Well, um, uh, it's it's a legal thriller. It's a it's a it's a an international high tech legal thriller is is the way I describe it. And um, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I've been practicing for almost 35 years. Uh, I practiced in New York for about 16 years, and I've practiced in uh, Japan for about 16 years as well. Um, and um, uh, I, I've represented a lot of technology clients over the years. And I've also been to Russia, where part of the book takes place. I was born in Alaska, where part of the book uh, takes place as well. So uh, all of that experience sort of converged and helped me to write Bottled Lightning. Yeah, and absolutely. When you, you think about specifically enough the experience working in the legal, so what type of law did you practice? Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I'm still practicing, actually. Uh, I do a lot of cross-border mergers and acquisitions. And a lot of it involves technology. And uh, uh, when you have technology involved, typically there are intellectual property issues like patent issues. But we also have dealt with a lot of um, uh, theft of trade secrets or misappropriation of trade secret uh, matters, which are, are almost like uh, uh, spy stories. They're, they could be very clandestine, people stealing um, technology right out of uh, research labs, um, 
for for example and how do um, they do that how do they do that by the well way? it depends on the technology but um one technology that a client had developed was a, a way of uh generating a a food additive using a, a particular type of bacteria that they had engineered and genetically engineered and they have laboratories all over uh asia actually and uh, one of their competitors bribed one of their employees to bring out a sample of the bacteria mm. and and they're they're checked going in and out uh but this employee hid it inside their shirt it, it only you know it's bacteria so it only has to be it doesn't have to be very big the sample um and uh and they smuggled it out of the laboratory and um and and gave it to the the uh the misappropriating uh, competitor. So the bacteria, why would that be considered technology? I'm just learning these things firsthand because it, so, know. so the bacteria was a very standard bacteria. Um, in, in other words, it's, it's in, in, uh, it, it, you know, it appears naturally in, in, or occurs naturally in, in nature, but they engineered it in such a way that it, when they fed sugar into it, um, it would produce this uh, food additive um, that's actually for farm animals um, that um, uh, they could then sell on, on the market to um, cattle ranches, for, for, for example. And they spent years and millions and millions of dollars uh, re-engineering essentially this bacteria so that it would produce oh not only um, the food additive they wanted it to produce, but it, it would do it essentially until it died. So, so all animals have, um, you, you know, we, we have something built in genetically that stops us from eating when we're full. And they engineered that out. So it would just keep producing and producing and producing, which allowed them to produce this particular product much faster than any competitor. Oh. And they had patented it. And uh, it was held as part of it was held as a trade secret. And nobody else had it. They could produce the same amount of product in half the time, uh, which lowered their cost um, and made them much more competitor, competitive. And that's why their competitors wanted access to this technology. See, that's, that's, that's so cool because you, this is learning these things because you don't understand these things. So specifically enough, you can't protect that technology in a patent, right? So that's why if someone steals it, they can just copy it, right? So yeah, they, that's exactly they, right. That's the big thing. Everyone says, okay, let's say you have this great idea for a weight loss pill or certain things like that. It's very hard to patent something like that. So somebody is able to copy the genetics or something, how it's transformed, you're screwed. And yeah, that's that, that's right. Once it's out there, once it's disclosed, a, a trade secret is only a trade secret as long as the information is confidential. Once it's out there in the public, it's gone and you you lose the protection of the trade secret. And that's what's nice about patents. At least if you have a patent, you the, the deal, see, there's a, a social contract when you get a patent. And the social mm -hmm. contract is that in exchange for you, Neil, disclosing how you make uh, a, a particular formula uh, to the public, you get 20 years of protection. So some no, you can stop other people from uh, manufacturing that oh. particular product. And then after 20 years, it goes into the public domain. How but difficult is that if a company has lots of money and can keep taking back to court with a patent? Oh, there are all sorts of challenges. I mean, just ask the Wright brothers. They were basically litigated into oblivion uh, over their patents. Now, this was before patents had the same amount, same strength that they have now. And by the way, I'm not a patent attorney, so it's not 
my Your intellectual. So what is it again? You're an in, intellectual property. And there are different kinds of intellectual property. There's patents, for example, there are trade secrets, there are copyrights, but trade secrets only work um, sort of like the, the classic example is the Coca-Cola recipe. They only work as, as long as it's um, confidential. So but, somebody who steals it, that's where you'll get involved in saying that you stole this from the lab. Or yeah, something. that's right. That's right. And that happens. That happens a lot. And it's so where's your more business trade secrets or intellectual property? Well, trade secrets are part of intellectual property, yeah. but it's, it's a really good question. Uh, there's actually it, it's a very interesting uh, issue, but there, the, the litigation seems to be more on the patent side um, because patents are disclosed. Right. So uh, disclosed to the public and and uh, innovators will will, in fact, examine patents to see if there's a way that they can work around that patent. In other words, come up with the same a similar invention that 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 has the same yeah. uh, properties without infringing that patent. Um, and but that results in more innovation if they can do it, which is a good thing. And that's why patents are one reason that patents are a good thing. So you're not involved in patents, more straight trade secrets. I'm trying to understand that. And that's that's a big thing when you're talking about your other thing, which is involving intellectual property, because you said patents and, and trade right. secrets under that. You're focusing more on trade secrets and you're also focusing on specifically enough other types of intellectual property. Would it like you're, you're talking basically brand name, logo, things like yeah, that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and what I do since I'm an M&A attorney or a mergers and acquisitions attorney, I will work on deals where let's say a Japanese company is buying a U.S. company or European company or vice versa. Uh, we've done a lot of deals in Japan where U.S. or European companies have come in and purchased assets or companies in Japan. And those targets will have uh, different assets, right? They'll have plants, they'll have equipment, right. and then they'll have intellectual property. And and typically if they have a, like if it's a biotech company or a big pharma company, they'll have all these, in addition to the patents and, and trade secrets and uh, the, the trademarks, as you mentioned, that they'll have all these license agreements and you have to wade through the license agreements to make sure you're not breaching any of those by doing the acquisition. So it ends up being a lot of work, which so, is which is good yeah. for us. So you're seeing a lot of mergers. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. You work. You work on your own. You work for a firm. I, I work for a firm, Oric Harrington and Sutcliffe. It's a global firm. Mm. But you enjoy the whole international thing for sure. Yes, I I, I was uh, in our Tokyo office. Well, see, it's a long story, but I have a 44 year history with Japan. I went there as an exchange student in high school in the late 70s, and then I went back during college in the in the early 80s. And then I practiced there as a junior attorney in the early 90s. And then after becoming a partner and practicing in New York, I moved, I relocated to our Tokyo office in 2004. And I was uh, in our Tokyo office um, just until recently. So yes, it was all cross-border work, uh, which is fascinating because you're dealing with uh, different countries, different cultures, different laws, different languages, different ways of doing business. And uh, I just found all of that fascinating. And particularly in the in the context of an acquisition, you're dealing with so many different issues. And even if you're buying just one company, typically they have a bunch of subsidiaries. And so you have to look at all those subsidiaries. And they may be in India, they may be in Singapore, they may be in Germany, and you have to look at all of that. And I just find that uh, really fascinating. It's kind of like being a conductor. Yeah. Um, 
to get no, out. I, I find this fascinating in just Japan alone. What do you think by writing the book? You wrote the book because you enjoy writing, but do you, do you see long-term writing more books or do you see other things of trying to build your brand out in certain ways? What are your thoughts? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I'm actually working on a second book right now, which is completely un, unrelated to Bottled Lightning. Um, it, the reaction to Bottled Lightning has been very gratifying. I, I just wrote it because I felt compelled to tell this right. story. Um, and I didn't write it with the idea of of writing a series or a sequel, although that seems to be the path to 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 riches for right. for writers. Uh, but it ended in such a way I didn't intend it this way, but it ended mm. in such a way that it's set up very well for a sequel. And I've had lots of readers write me and say, you better be working on a sequel. You know, I want to know what happens to the characters. It has a it has a complete ending, but it is set up very well for a sequel. We'll see. Um uh, I'm not, I'm writing what I find compelling to write about. Um, so from a business plan perspective, it's not the right way to do, to do it. I should be probably focusing on a, a, a series. Um, but by you're writing book, another book, you have another book in the works. It's completely different. Yeah. But does it involve ja Japan at all? And like, no, it doesn't actually, it involves, uh, fly fishing in the Florida Keys. Uh, I saw some of your stuff on TikTok. Yeah. Oh, thank pretty... you for looking <laughs> yeah i was taking a look at that oh my that's a niche man you can make some huge money when you're talking about fly fishing it's such a niche sport and area i heard yeah. of someone that did a fly fishing podcast was able to get uh this guy explained he said he had no listeners and they started the podcast already had sponsors which is crazy for certain yeah. you know niche audiences like again talking about japan i'm sure you've gotten a lot of people that are that have reached out to you there are expats from japan saying loving this right and loving what you're yeah writing. there's a lot of japan otakus definitely um people from the anime world um and uh so it's 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 been a good niche for me because like as you say you know it's 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 kind of a clear niche in addition yeah. to the legal thriller um and fly fishing is too it's it's a built-in niche and even though uh fly fishing for tarpon is a sort of a niche within a niche um it, it definitely has a built-in audience and i actually started my social media um presence um as it as it were to market bottled lightning uh but the only material i had before i published the book was fly fishing. fishing yeah exactly fishing videos and photos so i started with that and i think that's going to work out well for the for the upcoming book it definitely. All right. Where's the best place you can find information on you? Purchase your book and learn more about you. It was great to have a part two. I think we're going to definitely, uh, the, you're the go-to guy when we're going to talk intellectual property, especially if certain topics come up and things like that. Because, man, we're talking that stuff. I need conversations, especially with the media giant where he's going. You, you got to have someone like lm in your corner for sure with different things. well reach out to me at, at, at any time neil please you you uh, can find me readers can find me at lmweeks.com and also I'm, I'm on linktree you know backslash um lm weeks and uh i'm on most social media um so yeah please reach out of course you can find the book on amazon uh barnes and noble it's uh there's a paperback there's a hardcover there's an audio version there's an ebook Right. Um, so, and feel free to contact me. I, I love hearing it. from readers. All right. Thanks, Elam. Thank All you, right. Neil. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show. And, you know, it's always great to talk 
to people who transform people, uh, you know, media giant effect as well. I've tried to transform people for 13 years talking about things from helping people in education to all the areas of entrepreneurship, social media marketing. But my guest today is the author of Fireproof, David Hollenbach. And we're going to learn more about your grand strategy for transforming failure into fuel for your future. David, thanks for stopping by, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So basically, you know, this this process, how did this all start for you? Well, I, I spent 23 years in the fire service. And uh, in 2019, you know, I, I was struggling uh, with, with PTSD. Uh, I'd worked in a lot of really busy firehouses in, in Central Florida. Saw a lot of really bad stuff. And uh, it, it, if you don't deal with it, it tends to sh rear its head uh, you know, when, when you don't want it to. And uh, in 2019, I, I was struggling pretty bad, not sleeping, uh, a lot of nightmares and all that. And uh was doing <clears throat> my was doing my best to just wreck my personal life, you know, making a lot of poor decisions and it bled over into my professional career. And uh, I ended up losing my career uh, oh, and essentially losing my identity. I went from being a very well-respected chief officer to, uh, you know, just somebody that was struggling uh, to figure out who in the world he was. And uh, I had to dig deep, um, really buried myself in philosophy and, and writing in my journal and, you know, got the, the mental health help that I, I needed finally. And uh, started to go ahead and finish a book that I'd been working on for like 10 years. It started off as a leadership book and uh, it, it transformed into something much more. Um, a lot of the, the tools that I use to help other firefighters, fire officers grow in their professional career and in their personal life, I hadn't really been applying in my own life. And uh, when I, when I started pulling all that stuff out, and going through it myself, finally, uh, it, it really revealed itself to be something very powerful. It, it helped me change things in my life um, and really helped me create a, a grand strategy for my life, really identifying that end state, that, that final stage where you look back on your life and you know, either you're proud of what you've done or embarrassed um, or regretful. And when I come to the end of my life, I want to be able to look back and know that I impacted people's lives for the better. And and I think that's what most people want exactly. when they look back. You and, definitely want to create a legacy and you're trying to create that legacy. So after what happened in your career and, you know, going through addiction and now being overcome you know, PTSD and all that and overcoming these different things. What are you doing now? You're writing the book. Are you speaking? What is your ultimate goal of what you're doing? Then? So I'm, I'm helping other people that have struggled uh, to, you know, 
identify themselves after losing their career or, you know, maybe they want to refine their purpose in life and, and really do something important. Because I think a lot of people start off uh, with good intentions and then get caught up in the rat race, building wealth and that sort of thing, and then forget why in the world they were trying to build that wealth in the first place. Uh, so I, I coach, I mentor, I do speak, uh, I um, do workshops, and I host a podcast. And uh, what do you? What are your? What is your hope? Like all this, you're trying to get people. What is the ultimate message that you try to bring as a coach and as a speaker and author? Well. Failure is just part of the journey. You know, when when we go through life and we push ourselves, you know, we're going to fall down. It's it's those experiences that make us better. The best lessons that I've learned in my life have come out of, you know, very humbling experiences. And um, I, I want to help people when when they fall to get back up and realize that that's yeah. not the end. Yeah. No, it's definitely not the end. And the, the the challenge that we all do, we have such a great message is finding the right people to hear that message as a coach and everything. What do you recommend other people to try to get that message out? Because everyone's trying to do this and look at it in 2023, how they can make a difference. What's your recommendation of how to start out doing this after you've done this journey of writing a book, being a podcaster and all these different things? Well, it starts off with really digging deep and discovering your core values. And I've got some exercises in my book. Uh, they're tools that I've used with other clients and used for myself and, and my family. Uh, and it just, you know, you lay out this path, you can build a strategy and set goals for yourself. Uh, starting as far back as you can, uh, it, well, as far into the future as you can, uh, identifying the the ultimate end state that you want to achieve and work your way back. And you, you end up discovering that there's so many different paths to get to the same spot. And if we start from where we're at now, we a lot of times can only see one path to get to where we want to go. But there are so many other ways uh, to achieve that. And so the the tools that I lay out in the book really help a person identify those things that are going to keep them driving forward when things get tough. Yeah, those things that get tough driving forward is, is the biggest challenge because when you think you have these goals, you set these goals, you lay them out, and you know, everyone's looking at 2023. I don't know why the end of the year, always the next year is our next thing when we should be working on our goals right now on December 19th when we're recording this show. We shouldn't be looking, okay, 2023. It's like the calendar that makes us decide when to start. That's ridiculous, David. Because ultimately, we shouldn't be, I know it's probably because of holidays and the way everything is aligned. But at that time period, even though we have other distractions, we have holidays to attend, parties to attend, different aspects, we still shouldn't shut ourselves down. We should still always still be growing. We should always be writing goals. We shouldn't make a decision once it hits, you know, New Year's, then I'm going to make a decision. What do you recommend people that are indecisive in those times? And just saying, ah, I'm going to wait till 2023. I'm going to wait a couple more weeks. So I'm going to wait a couple more months. 
What do you say to them? You're postponing, you know, your destiny. I mean, you're postponing achievement. You're postponing growth. And if you're not growing, you're decaying. I mean, if you if you just stagnate, uh, I feel like when you put things off, you're just building a buffer, a bigger and bigger buffer day in and day out. Um, start now. Start small. Yeah, do something small today, add a little bit tomorrow, uh, and just build on that. Um, yeah, there's that 1% rule, just add 1% each day, you know? And that's what you try to do when you coach your clients. What types of clients do you coach usually? Well, they're a bulk are from, you know, public safety, law enforcement, firefighters, that sort of thing. I do have some professional clients that are entrepreneurs. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's. And and the, the, the thing is that people need someone to talk to and somebody that's going to guide them because you need a second uh, set of eyes to guide you towards a journey. The best successful people in life have multiple coaches as you know, Michael Jordan did and different people of success and they had a coach for everything. And it really, we have to invest ourselves to be successful. That's for sure. Yeah, it, it tends to, you know, there's those informal coaches that we have. And uh, I, I, it wasn't until I started paying somebody that you, you actually feel like you've got skin in the game and you better do what they're coaching you to do. Cause I mean, you're paying for this advice. Let's put it to use. Right. <laughs> Exactly. We don't put it to use our podcast, put it to use and all those different things. So David, where's the best place people can connect with you and purchase your book? Where's the best place? Well, my book is available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, a lot of online bookstores that I've never heard of. Uh, and you know, there's, it's in Barnes and Noble. Um, and then of course, on my website, hollenbachleadership.com, uh, you can order it there. I believe right now it's uh, a little bit cheaper on Amazon. Uh, so you could go there. I think they're running a deal on it through December. So you can get it about half price right now. Wow. Um, but you can connect with me on hollenbachleadership.com. My uh, podcast is there and other podcasts that I've been on uh, are uh, stored there as well. So well, we appreciate it, David. Thank you for your service again for all those years and now how you're helping people in another way. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. You're all Thanks for having me. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show, also the media giant effect. I'm excited to welcome the program professional soccer player, former pro soccer player, but an amazing guy, and also entrepreneur Jesse Bradley. Jesse, thanks for stopping by. Last time we talked about the story, man, and you overcame things like so many professional athletes overcome to the level that, you know, you look at, we don't figure out what we want to do. We go through these struggles. We don't know, hey, you know, I was doing this for so long. And sometimes we never figure ourselves at all. So you saw your faith, you move forward, and you have all these amazing goals and dreams to accomplish. What does 2023 sound like for Jesse Bradley? And like, again, I still, it's 2022 still here. I'm not wishing it out, but tell me. That's it, Neil. I appreciate your show, your passion, and how you just bring people on board who are going to add value, encourage, inspire. And in my life, you know, those lowest points have become a fuel and they forged a passion and purpose in my life that I get to live out now. 
And I really discovered during COVID, I want to share, bring hope to more people. I want to see people empowered. I want to see people who can then cultivate hope habits. You know, hope is relational and the quality of our lives are determined by relationships, family, friends, coworkers, also I think spiritually with God. But in addition to the relational, there are specific intentional and practical steps we can take. And we've been doing digital campaigns in 2022 and it's been so fruitful. You know, right now we're in the middle of the World Cup and I've been an analyst for CBS Sports, which is a lot of fun to talk soccer. But then also we launched Hope Campaigns and the traction that those have gained, it's really blown our minds because, you know, millions of people are going through the content and then we have a different focus on each one. Sometimes we focused on marriage and how to strengthen your marriage. Sometimes we focused on hope habits. We've talked about adoption and even spiritually. And the last uh, campaign that we ran spiritually there were over 200,000 people, this is globally, that said they want to start a relationship with God. So right now, we're in the middle of some campaigns. We're following up. You know when you have a plan on paper and then the reality exceeds it? Yes. And you're trying to make those shifts and adjustments. It's like, okay, how do we cover this? What do we do here? And continually learning. I think making those mid-course adjustments in any business, any profession, noticing what worked this year, what we learned from it. But I think the potential digitally, and I say this, anyone who's listening, whatever space you're in, whether it's personal or business, what can happen online? And that can involve social media, website, app. It's like historically when the printing press came out and all of a sudden doors flew open. I mean, right now, the impact, it's exponential. And mm -hmm. I mean, Neil, you see this, uh, radio, television. And what used to traditionally be, you know, grab a show and it's only on radio or television. Right. Now the multiplication happens because people share it. It's on social media. It's video. It's YouTube. And when yeah. things go viral, it's gone. And then that's so much fun because you see so many change lives. So what do you think? Uh, like you talk about the goal in the campaign. So what do people you're setting up for the campaign? Is it for to, to, for an event? What is it? Jesse. Yeah, we, we believe hope has a lot of different ways that it can play out in people's lives. And we think local and global. So we're very involved in Seattle. We have a lot of different events. We have a lot of resources we give away. And then globally, we're tackling different initiatives, like we're sponsoring kids in Cambodia uh, so they can have their needs met. We're also providing clean water in Africa. We're collaborating with World Vision. So, you know, hope wow. has practical expressions. We want to see everyone have clean water in Africa by 2030. So those are some big picture goals. You start out, build on islands of strength, more victories, and then there's momentum, more people get involved. Collaboration and partnerships are where it's at. And then in addition to that, uh, we're providing free content for people because people want things on their phone. They want it convenient. They want videos. Uh, right now, shorts are king as well, so less than a minute. But we provide practical stuff, and we create a new website, uh, jessebradley.org, revivinghope.com, either one. People can go there, and everything's free. Uh, people want free resources. So we have a 30-day Strengthen Your Marriage free video course. We have a free course seven days and those seven days, one habit each day, and it's reviving hope in people's lives. And they're things that are practical. They, they can do it. Uh, you know, I say this four stages with learning a new habit so people won't get discouraged because it doesn't always just click in. I know January comes, people have some resolutions, new habits. The first one is unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know, right? Some habits you didn't even know they'd be good for you, they exist. And then the next step is you have conscious incompetence, meaning you start to try it and you just can't get it. 
And then you have conscious competence. We're starting to learn it. You got to be really intentional, focused, but it's starting to come. And then you have unconscious competence where it just, it's natural. It's like tying your shoe. You know, I didn't, when I was a goalkeeper and I didn't know how to catch, I didn't even know the W was the proper technique, right? And then I tried to catch a ball and there was no W with my thumbs. It was kind of spread out and I dropped the ball. And then I was overthinking about the W, but I, I was getting my W on the ball. And then lastly, it's just natural. I'm diving the upper corner and I'm catching it with the W. So any habit, and that's true, you know, with gratitude. I say a gritty gratitude, learn how to give thanks when you don't feel thankful. Yeah. And just start with 10 things you're thankful for today. When you give that gratitude, you're going to focus on what you don't, what you do have instead of what you don't have. It's going to change you on the inside. You're going to become, you know, um, a more positive attitude. You're going to see the world differently. And that habit of gratitude, that is like a gateway for a lot of other things that can happen in your life. Um, one other one I, I think is really important, forgiving people fully every day. Don't let the sun go down with resentment and bitterness. That's poison for you. Don't carry it. So that works in marriage. That's been a key in, in my marriage. I think that's key in every marriage, conflict resolution. But you've got to talk about it. Have honest and humble conversations because that's where the fruit is. But I'll, I'll tell you, when you forgive everyone fully, it doesn't mean what they did was okay. But you're making a choice. Uh, if you don't forgive and you hold on to resentment, you're putting yourself in a jail and you got to step out of that. So this is an intentional choice to forgive fully every day. Healing is a process. That doesn't happen right away. But make the first step, which is forgiveness and let go of that grudge so that you can really love people, you know. And so these are the kind of habits. Again, you kind of get the scope. It's personal. It's local. It's digital. It's global. And you know, I'm someone, it's hard to say no sometimes. That's probably a good goal for 2023 is just what to say no to. But I'm energized by all this stuff. And yeah, I'll right. tell you, your pain points can become your greatest points of motivation. And because I didn't grow up with any clue about God, when I learned, you know, how good God is and how much he loves me, it's like, I want people to know. Uh, my parents got divorced. So I want to strengthen marriages and see people flourish in marriage. I also want to see adoption happen because no kid should be without a forever family. You know, there's different things I can point to. You know, I, my career ended tragically in Africa with professional soccer. I love to encourage athletes. Uh, we have faith and family with Seattle Sounders here, Tacoma Stars. So wow. whatever's happening in your life that is uh, really disappointing, painful, low points, what can you learn from that? And then... There's a rebuilding that happens, and I believe that's what's deeply fulfilling is when you can help people who are in that same situation as you. And that's what I love to, to turn around and be a part of, whether that's pastor, speaker, author, you know, whatever the means are, I don't really see, care. I'm, I'm, impressed. Videos, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely impressed by you, even more than the last time, because you really are telling us what's coming up. I know you as a humble person are going to tell the story, but you're not going to talk about all these initiatives you have, and they're fantastic initiatives. And you're doing so much in the community of Seattle and in all over the world. And it's just very, very impressive. What do you want to tell our listeners and viewers about like what they should this. think about to do? Go ahead. Yeah, I think you come alive when you serve. And if there's part of you that's been dead or it's just been on the shelf, like when you're using all your gifts and you're seeing lives transform, there's nothing better. So when you give your life away, when you invest in other people, like people are eternal. And you've got to really focus on what your core message is, what you're really called and gifted to do in this world to make this a better place, and then go all in. There's going to be a cost. 
Some people won't like what you're doing. And there's going to be some pushback, some shade, anything that's out there on social media, there's going to be a lot of haters. So just know that's going to happen already. Don't be rattled. Don't be surprised. And just keep going, lock arms and collaborate with people who have the same values and shared passion. And I'll add this, your performance is never your identity. When you're doing all these things and everything's going great, just remember who you are is not what you do. And, you know, my identity shift was from soccer and academics and achievement into just knowing I'm loved by God. And that security and that freedom that comes when you know that, uh, I mean, for me, I decided to follow Jesus at Dartmouth College. Never read the Bible before that. It was kind of a radical change in my life. But I'll tell you, that relationship, it touches everything I do. It's not compartmentalized into like one day, one hour, one building. And when you're abiding in that kind of love, you have a source greater than you and you're asking for wisdom and love, it's going to flow through you. So there's no limits to what can happen in 2023. Uh, don't put too much pressure on yourself all about one resolution. Instead, it's that full life that comes and think through how you can serve other people. And I'll, I'll add this to inner health is where it starts. So I mentioned before, forgiving other people, gratitude, you know, what's the internal condition of your soul? And it's not going to come through buying stuff. It's not going to come through chasing after pleasures. It's a deeper peace. And I think together we need to learn how to love each other. And when you are at peace with who you are and you're secure and you're loved, and that love is um, solid, indestructible, then you're going to be able to love other people more and take some relationship risks this year. The best things happen, I believe, when we pray, listen, and take some relationship risks. So that's my encouragement. I know we covered a lot in a few minutes, but uh, we're, we're just rolling into the new yeah. year. Excited about what's exactly. going on. JesseBradley.org, correct? Is that's correct? right. Thank you. And then also, uh, we're, you're still doing the World Cup stuff, or is that a, is a, the commentary? We're, That's right. I'm on CBS Sports tonight. Uh, looking forward to that. And uh, we're diving in. Coming down to the finish, I picked Argentina, so I'm going to stick with them the whole way That in the beginning of the tournament. Messi, it might be his finally his turn to, to grab the World Cup trophy. And then social media, Jesse J. Bradley on all platforms. Love to hear from you, hear your story. Whatever you want to talk about, uh, let's do it. I love connecting with people. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back. We're back to The Neil Haley Show, also the media giant effect, and I'm excited to welcome to the show a guest that we've had on many different times talking about BHRT. She is the founder of BHRT Training Academy and also the author of The Hormone Makeover, Donna White. Donna, thanks for stopping by to educate my audience again. Hi, Neil. I love being with you and your audience. Absolutely. We were talking off air, and you talked about specific talking thought process when we talk about specifically numbers out there regarding menopause i was absolutely blown away can you tell me about that the prevalence is amazing in fact neil there's over 1 million women enter menopause every year in the us that's a lot of hormone women in fact by the year 2030 the number of women in menopause or perimenopause is expected to reach 1.2 billion. These women need information and they need help. And it's because, again, we're looking at specifically age demographics of 50 and older and how they're going to be a gigantic, large part of the population in the United States. And that's regarding men as well. And what are women telling you about their struggles and why they're concerned? They read your book. You know, they learned about your story. You tell them your story. You tell them how old you are. And they say, really? And then you tell them what you've done. And what, how does that change them to start to ask questions? And what kind of questions are you hearing? 
I hear women, they want real information. In fact, Neil, let me tell you what women don't want. They don't want to have to go to Dr. Google to get help. They don't want to be pacified with a script for conventional HRT or a sleeping pill or antidepressant just to get through menopause. They want real answers and they want their doctors trained in how to prescribe bioidentical hormones. And that's the key. because every doctor could be doing this. Do you see that potentially happening at one point that the traditional doctors are all going to move over to BHRT at one point? I would love to see BHRT standard. I would love to see BHRT as standard of care in this country because there's so much scientific data that supports the use of bioidentical hormones. And it's really time that our practitioners learn and understand and implement this data, this these decades of research that we have that support this modality. Right. And it's going to be all about education. There was a conversation I had with someone on my show that does BHRT as a doctor and said that it's very hard to educate women and men about how important it is to consider this kind of tell us the what changes and how it changed your life. Well, BHRT totally changed myself. Um, as you might know, Neil, I've been on bioidentical hormones for 30 years. I'll be 60 in two weeks. And so, yes, I'm a, a hormone antique, if you will. And hormone therapy, when you balance a woman's hormones with the use of biologically identical or bioidentical hormones, you change their lives. You get rid of symptoms and you help protect them from diseases associated with aging. Wow, that's powerful. And you're definitely helping them. And what things were you going through when you decided to identify yourself that you were having these issues and found out from somebody and decided to start doing BHRT yourself? The symptoms I had 30 years ago was a severe case of PMS. I wanted to rip somebody's head off once a month. My skin looked like I was a teenager with acne on it. I had hormonal headaches and a number of other premenstrual symptoms. And thank God I figured out that it was all due to hormones and it could be helped. Since my early days, back in my 30s of of PMS, I've gone through perimenopause, menopause, I've had thyroid hormone imbalance, stress hormone imbalance. And let me tell you, there is a solution to these symptoms, to these hormone issues, and uh, several solutions that don't involve medications, that involve bioidentical hormones, lifestyle, dietary changes, and supplement protocols. It can be done and you can feel great again. You definitely can. And and the stories are amazing uh, for sure. What changes right after you started to to take the therapy did you see? Like, like were yours, was it overnight or it takes time? How kind of explain that to people? Because that's the other thing when people are considering this, what is this process? How does it work? When a woman starts balancing her hormones with the use of bioidentical hormones and the right supplements and dietary changes and lifestyle changes, here's what she can notice better sleep, improved mood, maintaining weight better, improvement in skin, less pain and and joint pain and, and aches, energy and all of these things think about it It, that that, those are life-changing if you sleep better that affects everything if your mood and energy are better that affects your your relationships your ability to perform at work so yes these symptoms are are addressable with the right protocols and the right therapies and life-changing 
sounds like it for sure life-changing and so it's a process you have to once you start seeing the progress you need to change other things in your life as well it's just like kind of like you go ahead and start to lose weight you're gonna have to start working out because it's yes you could figure it out by eating less but it's not going to be it's lifestyle changes and those lifestyle changes happen once you do something like this right not just the hormone the bhrt you have to make other lifestyle changes as well right when it comes to weight management, you have to look at your hormones because hormones directly impact metabolism. So you can be doing everything right, perfect diet, working out, but if your hormones are out of balance, you just don't get the results that you're working so hard to get. Want me to tell you which hormones cause weight problems or inability to lose weight? Here they are. High estrogen, low estrogen. High progesterone, low progesterone. High testosterone is associated with weight gain. So is low testosterone. High cortisol, stress hormone cortisol, low cortisol, and thyroid issues. It's just too easy to gain weight. So we need to get these hormones in balance. And men too can get this help. And that's, and have you noticed that a lot of men are not as open as women to this therapy at this point? It's starting it, it's starting to shift a little bit, but still lots of men to talk health with them. It's hard. It's hard to get some men to go to the doctor, like myself at times. But for to ex, in, improve healthy wise, is it a little bit more of a challenge? What are you, what are you you've seen in your you know research and what you've been seeing out there talking to lots of medical professionals? What providers are seeing right now is that there's more and more interest on behalf of men to get help. More and more men are going to their practitioners asking to have their testosterone levels checked. And it's so important that they do so. Here's why it's important to get your testosterone measure, measured if you are a man, because once you turn 30, testosterone starts declining about one to one and a half percent every year. So that by the time a man is 60, he might only be making 40% of the testosterone he was making in his 20s. Why do we let that testosterone fall? It's not necessary. Maintaining testosterone levels and optimal testosterone levels is critical to men's health. It helps protect their heart, cognitive function, muscle mass, helps um, offset metabolic issues. It's just so important to keep your testosterone level at a good, healthy level as you age if you're a man. And then it's not just that for men, hormones, other hormones they need to be checking that are going to help as well in their overall health and development, right? When we're looking at hormones, it's so important to look beyond ovarian or testicular hormones. That's estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. You really need to be looking at stress hormones, cortisol, DHEA, thyroid hormones, and insulin as well. It's just so important to get the big picture and look at all of these hormones because they work together or they oppose. So look at all seven key hormones. And one that you think is only in women is in men as well, right? That one's a surprise I was reading up on because you've been having me do, do this <laughs> by learning more and more. Which one is that, you know, is really primarily they think is in women that are all, also in men? So what's interesting is that women do need a little bit of testosterone. Some women don't realize that men have estrogen as well. But the issue is men do not need an elevated level of estrogen. That's why that hormone needs to be checked and managed in men because it, it, it can be optimized as well. 
elevated. So interesting. So you don't want elevated estrogen. So you're explaining Not something if you're that a man. literally I saw in a LinkedIn post and that's why I'm asking you now. And that was, I was like, what? And I'm like, that's interesting. I heard that before, but there was no explanation. 